you're not testing for COVID and you're putting them in, in cells with each other, they may get COVID. And this is something that's actually killing people. And when I asked the question, it was almost like, as like he didn't think about it. You know, we have this culture where if you could commit a crime, and most crimes are crimes are committed to survive. If you commit a crime, you're just treated like you're not human. Welcome to the Bituation Room Podcast live stream. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. Aren't you glad you pressed play on this? I really can't say press play. It's very difficult. Is that a speech impediment? The L's and R's? I guess so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for joining us. We have such a good show today. Uh, and by today, I mean a few days ago, because this is in fact a pre-record. I'm so sorry. But to make it up to everybody, we have Congressman Jamal Bowman in the house. Oh my God. Uh, newest member of the squad representing uh, New York 16th District. He is joining me to talk about all things in the house, the Progressive Caucus, what's going on with the Build Back Better Act. Uh, I asked him about uh, the U.S. military budget and some of the inroads that progressives are making to reining all that in. Uh, even got in a little question around uh, around his vote for the Iron Dome. We talked a bit about that. It was good. It was really, really good. So stay tuned for that. I don't know why I'm talking. It's in the future. It's coming up. It's happening. Also, comedian Samuel Bate is here. It is going to be so good. We're going to talk about, among other things, um, Squid Game obviously, because everyone's talking about Squid Game, so we have to talk about Squid Game. Uh, also, our very own Squid Game in the United States, which is uh, the vaccine hesitancy and uh, misinformation. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, what else have I got planned? I'm like, we're going to be talking about, oh, Facebook, huge whistleblower story. Is it going to be the end of them? Probably not, but I want to talk about it. Uh, so make sure to like the stream right now. Like and share if you are on Twitch. Thanks so much for being here. I hope you follow and subscribe right now. Um, and thank you so much, everyone who has supported. Also, we're doing a bonus story. I don't know if you guys heard, but the FBI raided the NYPD. Oh, my God. So we're going to be talking about that for patrons only. Patreon.com slash bituation room. That's where you sign up for five bucks for 10 bucks a month, which gets you a shout out for 20 bucks a month, which after three months gets you a piece of merch for 50 bucks a month, which after three months gets you two pieces of merch. My God, the rewards are endless. No, including you can give two bucks a month, but get access to that bonus discussion and every bonus discussion that we have all the bonus bishes. Uh, so make sure to get that. And also we have merch on this show. So just for becoming a patron, you get 20% off automatically. But if you just want your swag, bituationroom.com is where you can get it. That's okay. You don't have to become a patron yet. But again, this show is sponsored by you. It's not sponsored by like a meal kit service that like you would like that pairs food with different strains of weed. I wish that were a thing. 
you know, and like bring like a DVD with it, like DVD, a kind of strain of weed and like your munchie snack. First of all, I've just invented the best meal kit ever. Um, but no, this is sponsored by you guys. So when you become a patron, you really are helping out alternative media, helping me out, helping the whole team out and making sure that we can do things like this and interview people like Congressman Bowman. Um, but let's get into it. Uh, still, please comment. Keep them coming. You might even see a comment from a woman named Francesca Fiorentini. <laughs> She's real. That might be me in the future. Who I can't vouch for. Like, I can vouch for her now, but I can't vouch for what she's going to say. Um, if you're listening as a podcast, y'all, please give me five stars. Give this podcast five stars on on Apple, on iTunes. That means a world of love to me. Um, and with that, y'all, let's get into the very first segment, as we always do. Asking everyone... What is wrong right now? What is wrong? What are you bitching about? This is What Are You Bitching About? So I uh, recently went to New York for like, I don't know, less than 48 hours. It was great. Uh, if I didn't hit you up, my bad. Um, if I didn't do a show, my bad. <laughs> I'll be back. So I'm part of what I'm bitching about is like the crazy gentrification of New York, which is like old news. But really, I've said this before, but New York does gentrification with like no lube, man. They're just like Whole Foods, you know, <laughs> like Target. It's like, do you want to light some candles and shit before you're going to completely like ruin a whole neighborhood? But I was in Williamsburg and damn, like Williamsburg is where you can really see. It's basically like the Times Square of Brooklyn. You can really see everything. The waterfront, the like glass buildings, the luxury condos. It's lovely now because there's like you know, places to eat outside and it's designed for like, you know, Italian tourists and stuff, but it's all just this hellscape of Bloomberg's imagination and the real estate industry that has huge, huge stranglehold on, on New York. And I know rent is out of control. It's always been out of control. Now it's even worse. That is not what I'm bitching about. That is part of what I'm, that's number one. Number two, I went for the first time recently to make a return. Okay. I bought something on Amazon guys. Don't be mad. I bought one thing on Amazon. It was, I needed like a battery pack charger, right? I mean, what was my option going to Best Buy? Like, I don't, you know, I know I need to support the little guy, but like Best Buy was not my option. But the point is, um, I went, I bought on Amazon and I had to return it cause it wasn't the right thing. So I go to one of these Amazon stores. I don't know if you guys have ever been inside an Amazon store. It is, the saddest, most bizarre black mirror shit I think I've ever experienced because uh, Amazon, as we all remember, ostensibly was promising the world and the country specifically, uh, a, a, you know, a, a life of online shopping, one click shopping, two day prime delivery. Don't even have to leave your home. Don't have to go rifle through the books at a bookstore. No, we're just going to send it right to your house, you know, and shipping is free, et cetera. And slowly but surely bookstores and a bunch of places, uh, hardware stores, uh, mom and pop shops started going out of business because everything was more accessible on Amazon. And then they did a bait and switch and just started setting up stores 
And I know this is a little bit old news. I just haven't been inside one. And you go in and it's like, well, here's a computer charger. Here's a loofah. Like, here, Christmas socks. It's just the most, like, random. Like, imagine, like, seeing the algorithm in real time. Like, physically. Like, what are people shopping for and seeing? And it was so awful. It's just, like, like I feel like Amazon shops, which are called, like, four-star stores, Seems weird because I thought you can give five stars. Is it only four stars? I don't rate shit because I'm not a snitch. But it's it's like the hand that rocks the cradle but ca- on capitalism where it's like, like, first I'm going to terrorize your family and rip you all apart and then kill your wife. And then I'm going to wear her nighty and nurse your child. Like it's very – it's super psychopath shit to like – like slowly tear something down only to move into its place and that's really what capitalism is is what i'm trying to say that a multinational conglomerate sort of uh uh out of control non-competitive capitalism is in in effect just the hand that rocks the cradle it's mafia shit it's worse than mafia shit it's legalized mafia shit you get what i'm saying anyway that's what I'm bitching about. Tell me what you guys are bitching about in the comments and uh, the future Francesca will respond. Um, and with that, let me bring in my guest for the hour. You've seen him all over the place. I hope maybe you've caught his show live. Uh, he's such a delight. He's so funny. And you've also seen him on a hundred humans on Netflix. Please welcome Sammy Obeyed. Hey, hey there. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Thanks for doing the show, Sammy. Uh, it's funny because you were talking about Best Buy. I'm in my mom's study right now, and she's at Best Buy. That's why I'm here. So, <laughs> Wait, you sent her out to Best Buy? Because you're like, Ma, I need to study. Ma, I got to do a podcast. You go, go to Best Buy, get yourself something. Um, get yourself something nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yourself no. a, a battery charger. Uh-huh. <laughs> she actually, she was, she was on her way out. She's like, I'm going to Best Buy. I made an appointment. I'm like, you made an appointment to go to Best Buy? <laughs> it's the most mom shit ever. Yeah, it's like the biggest thing she's doing all week. I didn't ask what for, but I hope it's a good appointment, so. If she's anything like my mom, she's sitting there talking to like the genius squad being like, okay, but how do you make a playlist? You know, and they're they're like, oh my God, I wish this woman had a son who loved her enough to explain these things. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I couldn't help her out at all. That's why she went to Best Buy. It's probably something I could have helped her with. So, <laughs> Sammy, uh, we started the show off asking what you're bitching about. So what are you bitching about today? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of been uh, I've been like at war for like two years. It's a war on noise. Um, I'm just having issues with. I, so I have misophonia. You heard of misophonia? Um, no, I actually don't. I probably have some like I'm like partially deaf. I don't know what it means. <laughs> you probably you may have it. A lot of people have it. It's basically where you get annoyed at other people for making noises. Uh. Um, it's like fear or annoyance of noise, basically. So um, it's like when someone's jaw clicks and stuff. Or yes. Like... Someone so eats the... an apple. You know. So it's the opposite of ASMR. Like you hate ASMR or you kind of like ASMR? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I like ASMR. I've never heard any ASMR that I don't like. So maybe it is. ASMR probably is a cure of some sort. But <laughs> but but it definitely, you know, people have like you, you got to have a noise that ticks you off, right? Um, I mean, it, I don't know if it's the same one, but I, I hate leaf blowers forever. Okay. Boom. Um, yeah. Yeah. There we go. I mean, that's, that's number two on my list right now. What's number one on your list? Loud cars. 
And that, that includes motorcycles, loud cars and motorcycles. Um, these need to be stopped. Um, I, I, I am not a gun guy. I'm not a gun <laughs> proponent. I don't want, I don't want to touch a gun. I don't want to see a gun. Uh, I, you know, second amendment fine, but like no guns around me. I think about buying guns every time one of these cars passes my house at 2am. I swear to God, I'm just like, I would be out there just shooting off their tires because these people, like if only they knew how much they're damaging society. Right. And, and granted it's my problem for living on a somewhat of a busy street. I mean, I am close enough to the street, but far enough. So I can hear a loud car when it passes it. If I'm drifting to bed at 11am, it'll, or 11pm, 11am, you know, long (laughs) night, uh, Ew. Uh, <laughs> I don't think cars are your first problem, but <laughs> right, right. yeah. After all the booze and now this, um, but, but yeah, like at 11 PM, you know, if reasonable people trying to go to bed at a reasonable hour, so they can go to their reasonable jobs uh, on the next reasonable day. And then these people passing by and can just wake you up. And the thing is, this happened to me so many times because I live on a noisy street that it like, it happens now and it ticks me off so much that I just don't go back to sleep because I'm so mad. Um, I'm, I'm like very, I feel very kin to you because I feel I live on a busy street as well. And look, I wish every small business, you know, much success. I'm glad you survived the pandemic, uh, (laughs) except for one. And that is the motorcycle shop around the corner from my place that I swear to God is very much tells its customers, oh, please gun it down this road. (laughs) And that is my street. And they do all the time. And I like, I yell out my window, kill yourself. But that's mostly for me. (laughs) (laughs) And they're riding a motorcycle. So eventually, you know, they probably will. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And it's true. And like, I got, I have friends who ride motorcycles and I'm like, I don't hate them. They're good people, but they love these loud vehicles, you know? And um, because when you say motorcycle, you're targeting at these very specific people. But there's also just a lot of people out there with, you know, spoilers and those pop noises on their cars. I don't even know what that is. And these people need to be stopped as well. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Oh, my God. Some people should should click on the dick enlargement. Absolutely. You know, it's it's for sure sexual inadequacy in every way. So (laughs) I'm trying to take the more Buddhist approach now. I hear the car pass by and I'm just like, I hope he performs well next time. (laughs) that is a great thing to bituate on uh all right well we got to get into the week so much happened this week okay so this was a week where a german ship's anchor appears to have disrupted an oil pipeline off the coast of southern california causing 144,000 gallons of oil to spill into the ocean just months after millions of gallons of sewage also spilled off the coast of southern california uh creating what i would like to call an even bigger problem uh fossil stools Oh, thank you. (laughs) Kill me. Andrew Yang has broken with his Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, and become an independent. Next, I really hope he breaks with uh, Asian Americans and becomes racially (laughs) independent so he can no longer put the word math on a hat without us calling it what it really is, which is pretty racist. Uh, Nike appears to be shuttering some stores in Israel, which BDS advocates are taking as a win. And with others taking it as the downsizing of a multinational conglomerate, like a giant belching a bit of food up from lunch and then wiping it away with a napkin, you know, whichever. (laughs) 
And school libraries are becoming battlegrounds as parents rally to have books that allegedly teach critical race theory, uh, but actually are just written by people of color removed from their shelves. And I would liken that to the destruction of books in 1940s Germany, but I was educated in the year 2021 and 1940s <laughs> Germany is all about like great boots and Volkswagens. <laughs> okay, they just... Uh, and finally, comedian Dave Chappelle continued to rail against cancel culture in his sixth, that's right, sixth Netflix special, which is all you need to know about cancel culture. For everything else, <laughs> this is The Week Where. This was The Week Where. A whistleblower uh, behind the trove of internal Facebook documents went public and testified before Congress that the website began, that a website that began as a place to rank girls is in fact harmful to girls uh, and to kids and to parents and to parents' parents, pretty much everybody. Um, my mom, for example, has not been radicalized by Facebook, but she definitely got caught up in like a face cream subscription scam, you know? <laughs> um, so I just want to play a little bit of what that whistleblower had to say. This was uh, very, very brave of her to come forward. This is former product manager Francis Hagen. The documents I have provided to Congress prove that Facebook has repeatedly misled the public about what its own research reveals about the safety of children, the efficacy of its artificial intelligence systems, and its role in spreading divisive and extreme messages. I came forward because I believe that every human being deserves the dignity of the truth. The severity of this crisis demands that we break out of our previous regulatory frames, but there is one thing that I hope everyone takes away from these disclosures. It is that Facebook can change, but is clearly not going to do so on its own. My fear is that without action, Divisive and extremist behaviors we see today are only the beginning. What we saw in Myanmar and are now seeing in Ethiopia are only the opening chapters of a story so terrifying, no one wants to read the end of it. Cool. <laughs> oh, I always want to read the end. But do read the rest of my document, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That being said, here's all the documents. Um <laughs> So that was pretty intense. And she, the analysis that I've been reading about this whole testimony, because like we've known that Facebook has literally just been a platform for authoritarians and misinformation and that they love that stuff. Um, not only did she prove that, but it seems like because she focused on women and children that like the right is kind of paying attention. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, so this is from Slate and I want to read this um, quote, protecting kids online, which happened to be the title of this Senate hearing is a pretty uncontroversial tone in politics or otherwise. The top senators on the committee holding the hearing chair, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut and ranking member Marshall Blackburn of Tennessee were on the same wavelength about, in their opening statements, focusing on Facebook's internal research, which set the tone for the rest of the proceedings. Senators lined up to talk about their own children and express dismay that social media is adversely affecting vulnerable users like teens. Even Republican Senator Ted Cruz and Mike Lee, both known for harping on the supposed anti-conservative bias on social media, focused their questioning on how Facebook targets harmful posts at certain users. Cruz couldn't resist throwing in one question on bias towards the end, almost as a wink to his conservative base. But he quickly moved on. Ah, Teddy. Um, but, 
But it's interesting because it's like here you have and it and I do I do feel like it helps that she's like sort of like a, a pretty blonde woman who's like not really talking about she's not really making it political, but she is she says like children a lot and she right. talks about women a lot. Um I don't know. What did what did you make of her revelations? Were they surprising to you? Not at all. Not at all. I think I think what she's doing is a great thing, but not at all. Uh, if I yeah. were at the hearing, I would be like, excuse me, I believe that kids use TikTok. Uh, grandmas are on <laughs> Facebook. Like Facebook is for old people. I'm sorry, but like that's like the oldest. Like if MySpace was still around, you know, like Facebook is all that's left for the old people, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. No, they don't even use Instagram. No. No. So it's really like, it's, it's about our, you know, our and our moms and our dad are their mental health. Let's like, let's save the kids for a different conversation, but hundred percent what you're saying is right. So basically they're referring to us as kids. Are we like, are we young now, Sammy? <laughs> we are. I mean, we're millennials. We'll always be kids. Yeah. <laughs> we will always have the bank accounts of children. Just a little. <laughs> exactly. Our little, <laughs> little tiny, piggy little bank. cute. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's a little bit more of what she said. And I, I have, nothing but like agreement and respect for her um because i've been in that facebook algorithm game we're in it now but here she is facebook knows that when they pick out their the content that we focus on using computers we spend more time on their platform they make more money um the dangers of engagement-based ranking are that facebook knows that content that elicits an extreme reaction from you is more likely to get a click a comment or reshare and it's interesting because those clicks and comments and reshares aren't even necessarily for your benefit. It's because they know that other people will produce more content if they get the likes and comments and reshares. They prioritize content in your feed so that you will give little hits of dopamine to your friends so they will create more content. And they have run experiments on people, producer side experiments, where they have confirmed this. Times. So, yeah, New York Times. Um... What's wrong with giving little hits of dopamine to your friends? Right. It, it, it's like, it's again, agree 100% with everything she's saying. But it almost sounds like that was like a coaching session for people trying to beat the algorithm. Like, what <laughs> you have to do is say the most divisive stuff. You get more engagement. And it'll give you a little hit of dopamine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I I straight up have given, you know, early on, because AJ Plus was an earlier adopter of facebook videos i've given some talks although they like it like pains me i think maybe two sessions uh one was in austria so it doesn't really count um shout out to all the the fans in austria um <laughs> where i was like look if you want to like get clicks and do well on facebook you need to make people laugh cry or puke in the first three seconds of your video that's it mm -hmm. otherwise you're being scro scrolled past and it's amazing. Like that's been obvious, but I think what she's saying is more interesting to me, which is she's saying their algorithm supports that. Whereas I think a lot of us are like, well, the human condition is such that we all like things that are terrible. And right. I th it's a little true, but I think she's basically making the argument that no, it is their bottom line that's doing that. Um, and that's going to get the eyeballs and there's nothing. She kept on repeating something like it puts profits over the public and public safety always like po profits over public safety. Um, and again, we've known this. I can't believe, I mean, Sammy, I feel like maybe, I don't know if you have a, any more familiarity with the tech world than I do, but I'm like, even just the corporate world, how does someone like Zuckerberg, how is he still there? Like after all these scandals, don't you usually just like 
you know, you hand it to somebody else, you let somebody else step in. I mean, Sheryl Sandberg's also fucked up, so I don't know if she'd be a good candidate. But like, it's just amazing he's still at the helm. He's he he's he's a sociopath. I mean, he's that invested to this whole thing. Like any normal person, be like, I'm going to get my money, I'm going to get out. You know, yeah. Bezos just stepped out. You know, Gates right. stepped down, but Zuckerberg's like, no, I like this. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's we should be scared. I mean. You know, I hate to bring astrology into this because I do it for everything, but he is a Taurus and it's a very Taurian trait of him. Ooh, I am dating a Taurus. Um, Great guy. I love him. Love him. Great guy. (laughs) But they are stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess. If you look empirically at a lot of like, uh, like Taurus rulers, you know, like Hitler was a Taurus. uh, Saddam Hussein was a Taurus. Like very... You know, again, Matt Lieb is the best Taurus ever to walk the earth, <laughs> Clearly. for sure. Um, but Zuckerberg is in the other category. Yeah. Bro, that's interesting. I know. I, I first of all, respect to, to the astrology. I was definitely <laughs> saying this was all, we didn't even talk about it. This was the week where Facebook went down for a whole day. WhatsApp right. went down. Right. And my little, like, you know, crystal ass was like, oh, yes. Mercury retrograde and yeah. breaking up big tech. Yep. Here we mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. This it's all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, because did they even answer for that? I don't even know. I feel like they just like they were like, "Oops." Anyway. Yeah, yeah. They're like, "Don't mind us." Um, but but I think it's interesting how like everybody wanted to know Zuckerberg's response to this, like mm-hmm. as if it matters. Like, what do you think he's going to do? He all he said was like. Uh, this doesn't even make sense. Like, it makes perfect fucking sense. What are you saying? Like, what you're... See, to, to, he's so invested in this. His whole mindset, he believes that Facebook is good for humanity. And we all know. Yeah. Every person knows that it is not, but we're all addicted. You can't get the person who loves cocaine to stop doing cocaine. Somebody would have to intervene at some point. But of course, that would be against capitalism. So what are we going to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh my god, my face yeah. when I when Instagram doesn't reload. I was on a plane all day, so thank God. But like I've there been da- down, it's been down before, and I'm like, I don't want to see the same piece of sourdough bread. Like I just get <laughs> so I'm like, mm, like, it's very upsetting to me. Um, I think the real thing, obviously, is Facebook. Like she did not say that Facebook should be broken up. She didn't present. Um, right. a lot of solutions, but she did say that there are solutions that they know how to make the platform a better place for all people. Um, they, they're just not doing it. And th- because there's no monetary incentive to do that. Um, of course you always got to look at who, who's having a hard time with this news to know like who stands the most to lose if Facebook were to ever change its algorithm. And that happens to be not necessarily the senators who, you know, who are on the committee, but Republicans who are making a killing off of Facebook. People like Dan Bongino and uh, and and uh, Ben Shapiro, who do incredibly well on Facebook. They're like the top performing posts all the time. So this is a scam, declared Dan Bongino, dedicating the first segment of his podcast to attacking Hagan. Uh, I'm begging conservatives out there, don't fall into this trap. It's a clearly a left-wing op. Yeah. Fellow podcaster Ben Shapiro carried a similar tune. Any possible legislation resulting from Hagan's testimony would produce, quote, top-down tyranny, he said in a video, or top-down tyranny, um, posted to his Facebook page on Wednesday. Literally, I mean, this is this is like when Candace Owens was decrying Facebook 
on Facebook. And that was like the top post. Right, right. Again, it's for older people who are angry. That's that's all. You know, if you're old and you're angry, you're going to defend Facebook because you love it. <laughs> And if you're a right winger grifting off of it. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll see where this goes. I'm not holding my breath on this, but my God, at least, at least there's, there's, it's beginning to dawn that this company has zero interest in actually making change. Sure. Um, let's move on to our next topic. Um, this, here we go. This was a week where a little bit darker, a lot darker. This was the week where in news from, Oh my God, is this real life? A man from Cumberland, Maryland, allegedly shot and killed his brother and wife and his brother's wife because his brother was a pharmacist administering the COVID-19 vaccine. And he was convinced that the vaccine is actually killing people instead of doing what it's actually doing, which is saving lives. Um, so this just happened. Um, and uh, let's see, I want to go to, yeah. Jeffrey Burnham told his mother, this is the suspect, told his mother that he had to confront his older brother, Brian Robinette, because he was poisoning people by administering the COVID-19 vaccine, telling his mother, quote, Brian knows something, according to the new charging documents filed against Burnham. Um, According to the documents, Evelyn Burnham, 83, called the Cumberland Police Department because of her son's mental stability after he made statements about the FBI being after them both. She told the police in one call that her son lived with her and kept a security system in his bedroom at their home, police wrote in documents. So the FBI was aware that this guy was unstable. Now, look, I'm not saying give more power to the FBI, but it's always so upsetting when we realize that someone had call, you know, had alerted authorities when somebody's unstable and they were not able to prevent that person from then going and killing, shooting his brother and his his brother's wife in their home, and additionally killing a friend of his mother. Frightening. Um, but the guy was like clearly convinced of this he um this is uh he was arrested on october 1st at the billy motel and bar in davis west virginia after flagging down a firefighter and told him that he had quote been forced to kill three people oh my god and this is in addition to him being i think he was at a coffee shop or something and said hey you're gonna see my name on tv i'm gonna be famous etc i mean straight up delusional stuff this is my thing with this story. This is a story that a lot of news outlets won't cover. Why? Because it's salacious. It's sad. It's tragic. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, a mentally ill man was mentally ill and blah. That's bullshit. This is a story about a guy who was able to get a gun despite his condition, number one. And number two, probably has been ingesting copious amounts of propaganda and lies from People like Dan Bongino and Dan, uh, and uh, Ben Shapiro on Facebook to say nothing of Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or any of the folks who've been fomenting misinformation around the vaccine. So if you you take in enough of that, it will straight up drive you crazy. And if you're already unstable, this is what happens. I mean, and, and so it's I'm like, I feel like we have to cover these stories we have to talk about this because literally nobody else does. It's just like, imagine if this had happened from a left winger. If somebody was like, every time a police officer is killed or every time there's some sort of, you know, like 
alleged violence against somebody from the right. You know what I mean? I don't want to make this partisan, but essentially that, you know, where it's like a politically motivated killing. The right has a field day with it. They don't let it go. They make sure we know these people's names. Remember the young woman who was killed by supposedly killed by an undocumented immigrant on the pier Mm -hmm. in San Francisco? where a man found a gun, picked it up, and it straight up went off in his hand. The right-wing media made that a story for years and made it the backbone of their anti-immigrant you know, uh, push because of this one instance. Anyway, so I don't know, Sammy, thoughts on this story? Uh, yeah, great story to make funny. Um, <laughs> my only... <laughs> I, it's a very serious story. Very, very sad. I, I will say anybody staying at the Billy Motel probably is a murderer. Um, <laughs> could have told you that. Uh, yeah, it, it's really sad. And, and yet another mental health case, uh, you know, turned murderer, um, you know, and I, I think it is interesting that uh, like they, I, I read the story and it said he was charged with second degree murder. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's because of the mental health, Cause you understand like first, first degree is where you like premeditate and plan the murder. Second degree right. is like, oops, just, you know, killed these people. Right. So is, is it a second degree murder? I mean, it sounds more like he had been planning this for a while. You know? Yeah. It sounds, it definitely sounds like first degree, but yeah, maybe because of his mental state, it's second degree murder. I mean, and this is the thing with like, it's just awful. Cause you sort of, you feel like he is a victim himself um i mean and this this is like we've talked about other really dark stories like this like the QAnon dad who killed his young children because he thought they were the devil right like this is ostensibly a cult that believes that you know children are are to be protected and the babies and democrats are killing and hurting children but yet he had to kill his children in order to save them I, i mean so it's just like one one side of the equation here is supporting this kind of delusion. That's how easy it is. That's right. what a slippery slope this anti-vax stuff is. Right. It, it just highlights the, the you know the problem that we have of this politicization of the vaccine. You know the extent to which it's divided us so much, which now you have a situation where this could happen, and that's a horrible thing. You know to say that vaccines are killing people when. Every data set shows the opposite of that. So mm-hmm. in, in order to push that big of a lie, there are culpable people here who've been spreading it. And whoever they are, they should know that they're they're causing stuff like this. You know, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, there, there's just no accountability. I believe I believe for the first time, I think in the UK, not for the first time, but in the UK, a media outlet is being fined for spreading lies about the COVID-19 vaccine. And I mean, we Mm. cover story after story all the time, whether on TYT or on the Bituation Room of like, you know, uh, different right wingers, different conservative hosts who are fomenting all this misinformation and spreading it. And they don't get fined. Like there's nothing, you know, there's just, it's like, well, the ratings are good. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, Sammy, I wanted to digress a little bit because, you know, I haven't talked to you necessarily about like your like how you're doing i know you actually have suffered long covid you got Mm -hmm. covid early on and i know you had like health stuff on top of that yeah well the i mean the health stuff i think was from it i I mean after all i i I think the covid was the catalyst in in a sense so i had the long covid or as i call it that long long on my bumble profile (laughs) um 
And, uh, you know, having, and the thing is, I didn't know what I had for the longest time. Doctors told me I had multiple sclerosis. Uh, Some thought I had a stroke. Um, what really, what happened, it was exactly a year ago, Francesca, they, 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 they called me on this date. My doctor called me and it's a one, it was a one-star doctor. It was like free healthcare in SoCal. (laughs) Um, well, actually me and me and Matt talked about it. We're, we're on the same healthcare. Um, we had had (laughs) Kaiser. Oh my God. (laughs) I had a a one-star, she had a one-star review on Google and she called, left a voicemail at 4.30 PM saying, Hey, we got your MRI scans. Your uh, neck came back normal. Your back came back normal, and your brain is abnormal. So call your neurologist right away. Hung up the phone and called her back. She was gone uh, for the day. Called the neurologist. He was gone for the day. So for 24 hours, I had to live with abnormal brain scan <laughs> and what that could possibly mean. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, it was really, really rough times. And then they, I found out they found a lesion on my right brain, and they were like, "Yeah, it's multiple sclerosis." So. She and then she like definitively she's like there you have multiple sclerosis like well I was like it's just one lesion she's like yeah but there could be more I'm like yeah but that's not like your stars on Google you know <laughs> she was a singular star doctor I um, love how you did you obviously you found that she had one star later because or did no, you seek <laughs> out one star to be like you know what let's give her a chance <laughs> let's give her a chance <laughs> increase her rating. I actually did seek her out because she was the only doctor available for telehealth in the area. Uh, I see. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So, and so, but, and when did you actually get diagnosed? Like, oh yeah, you have COVID or you had COVID. And then these are the lasting effects of it. Yeah. So I later took an antibodies test and uh, tested positive for the antibodies. uh, But I still, at that point was not conclusive. It was until later when a friend sent an article showing that a lot of people had the same lesions in the same location from having long COVID. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then I ended up getting COVID again at the beginning of this year. And it felt exactly like I had felt last year. So that was like, I, I just, I put it two, two and two together. And I was like, it was, it had to be COVID. Damn. Um, and I'm talking, to, I, I put out a blog post and like a lot of people hit me up. Like I have the same thing, I have the same thing. So like a lot of people are going through a very similar and it affects everybody differently. You have a, some weird kind of neurological response or whatever. So. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Have you, and this is like, you've obviously gotten the vaccine. Yeah. Okay. Because I know it's like, you know, I mean, you got hella antibodies now. Twice. I've got, I've got every, I've got Delta right here. I've got Gamma right here. Um, <laughs> you got Lambda somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's crazy. And I, and I hope like. I hope there's more research. There's so little research on long, long COVID. I have another dear friend who also has it. So anyway, um, yeah. my condolences and also sending you lots of love and healing and all that. Thank and you. shout out to everybody else because uh, it is no joke. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 100% better. So anybody who is listening with long COVID or knows someone with long COVID, tell them to hang in there uh, and read my blog if you want. I'll plug it at the end. But I, I actually wrote like a list of like 15 things that really, really helped me. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Um. We have to move on because we've got such a great guest for you all. Um, you may have heard about him. Uh, he unseated a longtime incumbent in New York in Congress. Uh, big moves supported by Justice Dems. We're going to get into everything. Build Back Better Act, uh, U.S. defense spending, um, what it's like to be a progressive and in Congress. Uh, this is The Sitch. Sitch. 
He's a former middle school principal, an education advocate raised in Harlem who defeated a 16-term incumbent, Elliot Engel, last year in New York's 16th Congressional District. Please welcome one of the newest members of the squad, Congressman Jamal Bowman. Peace and love. What's up, everyone? How y'all doing? <laughs> Good. How how are you? Are you tired of Congress yet, Congressman? No, uh, not yet. Um, still, uh, still pretty good, you know, despite the, you know, uh, build back better negotiations and, you know, still way too much money going to war and uh, not enough focus on poor black and brown people. Uh, but we're getting there. We're, we're working. We're, we're doing the work. I mean, you having worked in education and with children, it's like I feel like it's going to take a lot for you to get tired you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, people have been asking me the last uh, couple of weeks, like what's harder, uh, Congress or being a middle school principal? And it's being a middle school principal, hands down. Um, you know, Congress behaves like middle schoolers. But when you're actually a middle school principal, you like have hundreds of kids in your care that you're responsible for. And if one gets hurt or worse, it's on you. So there's there's no pressure like that type of pressure. Sure. But we you are now representing a whole lot of Americans in, in the halls of Congress. So, I mean, in a way, not that you'd ever want to say that you're <laughs> your, your district or children, but you, you, you do have a responsibility and it's a lot. And you, you know, it's almost been a year or, or how many months are we into your term now? Nine months officially. Uh, okay. but in the district, you know, when you win the primary, you're kind of in, um, so we did have a general, didn't take that for granted. Um, and after November, after the November general, we kind of got started. I went to Washington, did orientation on, and all of that. So yeah. nine years, nine months officially, but about a year unofficially. Yeah. And you're, I want to talk about some of the like amendments you've introduced. You're not, you know, sitting on your laurels at all. You're really active and out in front. And I see still in your district, but I want to talk about the Build Back Better Act, which is again, this, the second piece of this infrastructure bill, you know, that includes so many really game changing things for working Americans were it to pass. What do you, if it does pass, what would it mean for your district? What would it mean for the people that you represent? Yeah, so it would be transformative. It would transform their lives uh, overnight uh, in, in the same way that the child tax credit that we've already uh, passed and extended through December is transforming uh, lives in my district. So um, it's going to pass. Um, what, what's, what the question is, you know, at what uh, amount in terms of top line number, but also uh, which programs are we going to be able to implement? So we're pushing for everything as we should be, um, because 3.5 was the compromise. It was six or 12 or 16, depending on um, who you speak to. But it would be it would be transformative. It would be investments in public housing, which haven't happened in over a decade. Investments in affordable housing, which is critical now that you know COVID has. Uh, made so many more millions uh, housing insecure. Um, yeah. Additional investments in workforce development, which is what we need at this time because so many have lost their jobs. Investments in home care, child care, lowering prescription drugs, 3K programs. In a district like mine where you have pockets 
with poverty rates as high as uh, 20%, and over 50% of people severely rent and mortgage burdened, um, it would be it would it would transform lives, and and I can't wait for us to get this done. Yeah, especially I mean I, I was just in New York, and I'm just like floored by the amount of gentrification. You know, since when I lived there only ten years ago, but it's just like it's a huge issue for I know your district in addition to so many other things. What do you make of, you know, you joined the Congressional Progressive Caucus. It's been largely symbolic, but now under the leadership of someone like Representative Pramila Jayapal, you know, you guys are throwing your weight around, um, you know, sort of making sure that you pass this, you know, this infrastructure or the reconciliation bill, the Build Back Better Act, in addition to what Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema want. So how does that feel? Do you feel like, um, you know, that someone like yourself, like growing the squad has had real impact? Are you seeing that? Do you feel like even someone like like you being there um, has emboldened folks like Representative Jayapal? Yeah, I, I feel very uh, privileged and inspired to be in Congress and to be a member of the CPC, especially in this moment. I mean, we have to understand there were no negotiations happening at all. We were simply mm-hmm. going to do the hard infrastructure bill and take whatever crumbs we can get on the human infrastructure, human infrastructure side of it. But the CPC, CPC and, and under Pramila's leadership, we were very transparent with our priorities very early on. Um, Congresswoman Chairwoman Jayapal was in constant communication with uh, Senator Sanders, Senator Schumer, Speaker Pelosi in the White House, um, and we were con- we were very clear on where we stood, and, and we were all behind her, one hundred percent. And it wasn't just us; it wasn't just the CPC. The Speaker was on board, the President was on board. We were actually leading the charge uh, in terms of the President's agenda. Agenda. We were out front on that. So it's been really exciting um, and yeah. inspiring to 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 be a part of it. And yeah, you know, not, not just uh, myself and the squad, but the progressive movement on the outside, continuing to engage uh, in electoral politics, engage in movement building, uh, engage in the work, I think is, is shifted, you know, leadership in Congress more to the left, which is a really exciting thing. Absolutely. I mean, you've been on the outside as an advocate as well. And I mean, there were dark days. And even in just when I was coming up as an activist, we had no faith in the political process. You know, there was no kind of squad. There was no like, who's your favorite congressperson? It was like, what are you talking about? You know, and I think, you know, that can get there's a double edged sword there. A lot of people hate the idea that there's a celebrity dumb to someone like, you know, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But I mean, I don't know. Personally, I'm just speaking from personal opinion. I think that's good. I think we should know our Congress people. We should like, um, you know, we shouldn't put them necessarily on that on a pedestal of untouchability. But it's good to know them. It's good to like watch their moves, what they're doing, you know, have have a more direct line and have some faith. Um, That being said, if you were to go to the Met Gala, Congressman, what would your dress say? Like, what would you? <laughs> what, what would I say? Um, it would say uh, babies over billionaires. Um, something. It would say something like that. I like um, that. And stay tuned for legislation bearing the same name coming soon. I, I just gave you a tease. 
Uh-oh. Uh, billionaires coming soon. But that, but that's what my 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 suit would say. And I assume that has something to do with uh, early child care. Or- yes. Yeah. Yes, it, it has something to do with the the real health and well being and future of our democracy and our planet, not what you know my more moderate and conservative colleagues think is the future, which is rooted in you know Elon Musk uh, and Richard Branson traveling in space while people are getting shot in my district and killed. So, yeah, it's rooted in uplifting people who need us the most. You know, something else that happened between the last time I talked to you and now is there was an insurrection, uh, yes. uh, speaking of the right, uh, in, and you you were there, front row seats. I mean, ex- like, tell me briefly, sort of, like, where were you? And also, like, how is it now to be legislating with some people who still have not sort of come to Jesus, so to speak, as to, in, in terms of how, um, what a what a devastating and dark moment and illegal you know, action that was. I mean, you're alongside, you know, congressmen who actively stoked and fanned the flames of that event. Yeah, um, I, I think it's downplayed way too much. Like, we don't talk about it nearly enough. Like, that was an attack on everything we believe from within, from our own people, right? Yeah. From other uh, Americans. So, it was it was scary. It could have been much, much worse. I mean, it was yeah. bad, but it could have been way, way worse if they were more prepared and, and, and more uh more sinister with, with what they did. I mean, they could have burned the whole place down, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, it's funny, it's interesting because they're almost like the ones who fan the flames and support that kind of thing, they're almost unseen and unheard, they're almost invisible. Mm. Uh, we don't even, I don't even engage with them. I don't even, I rarely look in their direction um, because they, not only is are there ideological beliefs, but I believe that those people want to do me harm. Mm. And if, if, if killing me and my family and, and others like me will give them power, they will do that. So I can't even engage with them or, or even look at them. And then when you think about it, it's like, damn, you know, I've always wanted to like drive through the country, just travel the country and and, and see different corners of the country. And now I'm like, shit, you know, I, I really can't go there or I really should not go there. Or anywhere where where there's money flowing into majority Taylor Green, like I can't go in that area because it's really, really bananas. Um, so this is like, this is why we have to both maintain um, major- the majority in the House and Senate next year, but also we have to shift paradigms and change the American mindset as well, because Donald Trump just destroyed our sense of reality, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then there now there are people piggybacking on that. So it, it's uh, you know I hope we continue to engage each other in a way that roots us in reality and roots us in humanity. Um, that that's that's the that's the other part of my work as well. Do you feel like you know, other than the FBI sort of going after some of the people who did storm the Capitol, um, do you feel like Congress is taking January sixth seriously? You know, there's a I know there's a number of commissions. I know there's interviews going on right now. Obviously, subpoenas of former Trump officials. Um, 
what do you want to see happen? I, Representative uh, Cory Bush does have, you know, introduced, a, 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 I believe, a piece of legislation that said, look, we need to kick the the people like Representative Gosar, Representative uh, Andy Biggs and these people who were like part of the Stop the Steal stuff, kick them out. This is mm-hmm. a, a, unconstitutional. But anyway, I, we know that's not going to happen. But, um, you know, any thoughts on what you want to yeah, see? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we, we formed a commission. <clears throat> excuse me, and the commission is gonna gonna do its work, and you know whatever the findings are, I hope those findings are transparent and people are held accountable. Yeah. What historically kind of happens with commissions is there's not really enough transparency. There's not really enough education on exactly what the findings uh, were, and then accountability is 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 minimal, right? In 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 many ways, so. You know, in New York City, you, you get caught jumping the turnstile, you might spend weeks or months on Rikers Island. You know what I'm saying? And and unfortunately in our in our society, if you commit some type of political crime or or or, or Wall Street crime, there's not really much accountability. So I'm hoping for transparency, I'm hoping for accountability. Um but if but you even, jump over Nancy Pelosi's desk, there is less accountability. But, but even but even deeper than that, I mean, we we already even before this, there was there were reports of FBI, um, FBI had reports of of white supremacist infiltration in law enforcement across the country, and how many people even knew about that or are aware of that, and what are we doing about that right now? You know, how many of us in Congress? Are looking the other way and allowing that stuff to just exist, you know. So that's that's what we're up against, and that's what we're trying to build power across the country to change. We just talked about actually the FBI raid on the you know NYPD's um, union hall and and those documents, and then the resignation of the head of the un- NYPD's union uh, police union. Yeah. I mean, that to be continued, we will see, but there are whispers that potentially there was a far right extremist element um, to the police union, which, of course, I think, I mean, you know very well, is not that is not unbelievable at all. Well, the NYPD police union endorsed Donald Trump in the last election. Right. So, you know, that that was huge. And. And this is the thing, right? Because we get into these conversations and people, you know, want to call us anti-police and all that. No one's anti-police. We're, we're, we're pro-accountability, right? Like <laughs> when you hold a badge, when you carry a gun, you are, you are given a certain amount of power and esteem and responsibility in our society. And you have to meet, the, meet those demands, the demands of that standard. And if you don't, you need to be held accountable for that. And unfortunately, time and time again, we see law enforcement officers not held accountable for things. So, it, it, you know, we just need to, again, if we're going to be a healthy, thriving democracy for all, there just needs to be kosher behavior and accountability across the board. Yeah, 100%. We could talk forever about that. I got a lot of questions, but I did want to ask you, you know, right, right now, Republicans are trying to make the Biden's border crisis stick like that's their latest thing, um, given the number of refugees and asylum seekers and migrants coming through the southern border, especially from Haiti. And we saw those awful images of, you know, mounted CBP um, with whips or not whips or but they were being used like whips. Yeah. Um, rains. On those rains. Rains. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. On which anyone making that distinguishment, like, honestly, I don't like, please, please leave. Uh, but it was awful. And, you know, this administration. So you, on the one hand, you got the Republicans. On the other hand, you've got this administration saying that was awful. We don't we know we're looking into it. We will investigate, et cetera. Um, and yet they're continuing with deportations. They have accepted uh, many thousands of Haitian migrants into the country, but they are still deporting people under that Title 42, right, which Trump enacted, allowing, you know, under the pandemic, you know, you can not accept asylum seekers. What I mean, not a, if you had to boil it down to a grade, maybe, or just what's your assessment of how this this administration thus far, um, also nine months in, <laughs> has been handling uh, the immigration situation and crisis, at the not crisis at the border, but what's going on at the border? Yeah, Trump's presidency made it made it heinous, um, like his language and, you know, it was vitriol. Uh, that was part of how he uh, his immigration policy was 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 rooted in that. But. Obama's policies weren't great either, um, and, and now um, Biden is looking to do a little bit better. Um, you know, we need to repeal Title 42, um, something that I've called for and we called for. Um, we need to increase the amount of immigrants we're bringing into our country. And we need more investment there for infrastructure so that we can accept more asylum seekers. Right now, all of the investment, the majority of the investment is going to CBP. Mm-hmm. And I visited the border. I went to Laredo, Texas to meet with CBP officials and meet with volunteers uh, with Catholic charities who are literally providing humanitarian aid. And, you know, if I can contrast it for you, uh, the humanitarian aid and the uh, Catholic charity volunteers were doing their work their humanitarian work in like a shack and CBP was doing its work in like a fortress, right? Mm-hmm. So you could see the clear contrast in, in resources. And, and when we visited the CBP uh, facility, a few things stuck out. And, and one, I still haven't figured out. Number one, there were like 20 officers touring the facility with us. And I don't, I didn't realize why there were so many officers they took like a million pictures. I, I don't know why they did that either. Okay. Of so you sort of there? Of me and my team. Um, okay. That, it was weird. I don't know what they're going to do with those pictures, but they took a zillion of them. And they were- They'll probably put it on the wall, like, you know, sort of old Italian pizzerias. Like, hey, look, yeah, Representative yeah, Robin yeah. loves eating here. Like, do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one thing that stuck out. Another thing is they took us into this room to show us images of, you know, these horrible, mean immigrants coming across the border and doing all these bad things, right? They were very, uh, very intentional with their imagery. But when I asked them, you know, I asked them a question, how many of the immigrants that you engage with have actually committed a crime? And they said less than 10 percent. So we're putting all these resources into CBP and at least 90 percent advocates would tell you it's way more than that. At least 90 percent of the people they engage with are not criminals. The only crime is trying to come trying to seek asylum in our country. So that was the second thing that, that stood out. The third thing is, you know, they have the area with all of these jail cells. And there were probably about 10 to 12 open jail cells with no one in it. And then it was one jail cell that had like 10 people in it. 
And I asked them, I'm like, why don't you separate these people into the other cells so they're not on top of each other, especially because you just told me you are not testing for COVID. So you're not testing for COVID and you're putting them in, in cells with each other. They may get COVID. And this is something that's actually killing people. And when I asked the question, it was almost like as like he didn't think about it. And and, and, it, and it's like, you know, we have this culture where if you could commit a crime, and most crimes are crimes are committed to survive. If you commit a crime, you're just treated like you're not human. Like that, you know, and, and not too long after that, I visited Rikers Island here in New York. Mm-hmm. And it's there's a humanitarian crisis in Rikers Island, like yeah. right now, and it's for yeah. the people who are incarcerated and the people who work there. It is untenable. It, it is something needs yeah. to happen, like right now. It is bad, and it, and it's just it's a system of inhumanity, which yeah. is everywhere, unfortunately. No, uh, and yeah, and you've been a huge advocate. Um, of um now i'm gonna for blank on what it is but uh what trans- i haven't trans- been an advocate for anything <laughs> you, oh you're an advocate for so many things um restorative justice there it is no, uh brain no. worked um yeah i mean it's like yes why are you and, and especially on the border i mean rikers island yeah i mean how many exposes have there been done how many you know how many times how many deaths how many suicides <clears throat> to know that you need to just tear it all down. I mean, just, I mean, in my opinion, but I mean, on the border, it's like you cross the border that in of itself is supposedly a crime. And yeah, he didn't even think about it because, oh, these are just criminals in his mind. So why would you treat anyone with humanity? And if we already treat criminals inhumanely, well, there you go. Welcome to America. Um, And I was just going to say, you know, we've seen images of CBP throwing out the water that Catholic charities and other, you know, humanitarian groups on the border are setting out for migrants who are, you know, on the verge of, of, of death really. And you're like, what is, so, I mean, again, and just to juxtapose what you're saying, what the Catholic charities are actually doing are, are helping people survive and, and actually make it at least just live. Whereas CBP is more criminalizing, scaring, um, detaining, not necessarily humanely as well. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's move to, I want to talk a little bit about like some of the, you know, some of the amendments that you've introduced and some of the things that you, obviously I know other bills that you've introduced, you can tell me we've got the babies over billionaires, which I love. Um, but in terms of like us military policy, the house recently passed their annual defense authorization bill. You and other progressives tried to squeeze in a couple of amendments that would have really, you know, tried to begin to, um, you know, ramp down our, you know, just overly robust U.S. war machine internationally, the lack of accountability, the endless spending for military ventures. Um, You had a couple of amendments about ending money for U.S. war in Syria and also making sure the executive branch, like someone is looking out for this, where, where Trump profited from those wars personally. And so making sure that the executive branch is not able to contract themselves, essentially, for, for some of that defense spending. How successful were those amendments? And did was there some movement? I know a lot of progressives were like, man, why do we pass this budget again? Was there, were there 
you know, was there openings? Did you feel? Uh, yeah. So shout out to Catherine Clark, first of all, because that amendment that I introduced that passed was actually her amendment, but she was at the White House, so she couldn't introduce it. So I got a chance to introduce it and my name was attached and it passed, which was awesome. So <laughs> shout out to Catherine Clark for, for, for hooking me up. And that was an amendment to your point um, that just doesn't allow the executive branch to profit from federal contracts, which is, should be common sense. No yes. one in Congress can, but Donald Trump did his own thing, you know, as a, as a white patriarch. But anyway, um, so there was that one. And then I also introduced one uh, that, Yes, pulled us out of Syria, but also um, wasn't that wasn't the immediate next step. The mm-hmm. next step was Congress should have the it, Congress has the authority. Uh, Congress has war power authority, not the executive. Right. This goes to repealing the 2001 AUMF. Yes. So my amendment would would give some of that authority back to Congress as it relates to Syria and allow us to both debate. Uh, should we be in Syria and then vote on uh, us being in Syria. And uh, that's, that's the amendment that I passed and uh, it didn't, um, it didn't pass, but it got a lot of support. Um, So it moved the needle a bit. And I got to say this because this is really hilarious. So 21 Republicans voted uh, for this amendment. And as I was going into my office Matt Gates stopped me to show me the list. He said, like, hey, look at how many Republicans voted for your amendment. And I'm like, I didn't even want to like stand next to the food. I'm like, yo. You're like, who's watching? Who's man. taking a photo? Yeah, yeah. I appreciate I was like, thanks for the list, man. And I just got out of Dodge. But it was just like, of all people, Matt Gates is going to show me this list. It was crazy. That's um, so, but- you were like, ooh, what am I implicated? But then you look at the list and you see like Majority Taylor Green and Lauren Barbert and all these, you know, Q or not. It was just not a list I want to be associated with. Appreciate the vote, but just a crazy list. No, um, thanks. I mean, and- when that's so interesting because I feel like after years and years and years in Congress, I think some 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 politicians obviously use that as a you know as like hey look what i did i got all of these republicans on board and and yeah. no doubt like after a certain time in any work for any workplace you're going to have to make a certain amount of peace the problem is how much peace do you make so you don't sacrifice you know your morals and values and and what you're there to do right it's it's a interesting you know uh i think it was um representative swalwell who said this you know like after you know, after January 6th, you have these Congress people trying to just like glad hand you and be nice to you. And you're like, no, man, we're not on the same team. Um, but yet that gets so rewarded by the media to be like, oh, look at this. Look at this bipartisanship. You know, look how they worked with a, you know, a con- like not a convicted, but like accused, maybe sex trafficker, Matt Gates. Like, yeah, it's, re- it's really bizarre. It's a bizarre place in, in, in many of those ways. And let me just recognize one other amendment. Shout out to Ro Khanna, um, introducing an amendment to uh, sort of handcuff Saudi Arabia's ability to support continuing war in Yemen. Um, so that was a huge one. And I believe that one passed. So that was awesome. Like, I, I you know, part of my advocacy is not just anti-war overall, but really highlighting what's happening in Yemen and the humanitarian crisis there and, and really, you know, holding Saudi Arabia accountable so they could stop supporting 
the conflict there. So shout out to Ro Khanna. That was a huge amendment that passed. And yes, overall, the needle's moving a bit because you have, you know, people like myself and Corey in Congress now and, and yeah. Engel and, and others. So it is moving in the right direction. Still not enough resources going to the Caribbean, not enough resources going to uh, the continent of, of Africa, um, still way too much going to just weapons manufacturers. Um, so still a long way to go, but, you know, some movement. Yeah. And I, you know, I really did want to ask you about your vote for the Iron Dome, the $1 billion additional funding. I know it's a touchy subject. I know there's a lot of division and and different opinions on this. And I know just even today, like Senator Sanders said that he would vote for it if that meant also getting money for Gaza and the rebuilding of Gaza. I know it's not an easy vote for you. There's criticism, you know, from a lot of folks who, you know, obviously are are more from the left and, and talk about Palestinian human rights. Can you just tell me about that vote and and if if you can, um, and and why you voted yes and and how you know the difficulty in that if if there was any? Yeah, so you know we're never going to stop fighting for Palestinian human rights, and we're never going to stop talking about the occupation and working towards doing something about it. And that's what I encourage all of the groups to work with us towards getting done because we need to do a lot more work in that area. On the other hand, or in addition to that, you know, I represent a large Jewish constituency, right? Mm -hmm. And many are progressive Jews and some are moderate, some are more conservative. And, um, you know, I have to do my my job is to represent my constituency and all of my constituency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the letters and calls we got coming into our office was more along the lines of, you know, please support this as opposed to not. I also, you know, it's, I also want to make sure and I'm careful not sending the message or the perception that it's not okay for any country to defend itself and that it's okay to, you know, quote unquote, kill Jews. Like that's like, you know, I don't want to send that message indirectly either. So, you know, so I voted yes on it to make sure I'm doing the job of supporting all of my constituents. But as I've said before, since the vote, like we're, we're still, we got to do something about the occupation as a humanitarian crisis happening in Gaza. And we're still going to continue to uplift that issue and do work around that issue as well. For sure. I mean, I will just say I am not in your constituency, but I, so I can say, uh, I understand why you voted the way that you did. That makes a lot of sense to me. I don't agree with it necessarily because I do think we have to um, basically uh, defund a lot of the money that we've been giving to the Israeli military, uh, especially. Maybe if it was just you can use this for non-military things, that would even be a step in the right direction. So I hope as someone on the outside that there's more strength and numbers behind you and in your, you know, there's a lot of progressive Jews out there who are against the occupation as well and they're not for something like this. But mm-hmm. I totally hear you and I, I understand why you had to vote the way that you did. Um mm-hmm. Any any last thing that you that you want? What are you looking forward to? Anything else that you um, wanted? Yeah, to yeah. Looking forward to uh, passing this Build Back Better Act uh, oh at, at the largest number possible. And there's a specific part of it that I want to highlight. So, um, two point five billion towards violence reduction and violence prevention. Um, that is critical for my district um, mm-hmm. because in parts of my district, uh, the gun violence is out of control. Uh, 
the murder rate and the and the attempted murder rate is out of control, and we need a restorative and holistic approach mm-hmm. uh, in, in dealing with that. And it can't just be law enforcement by itself. That's not enough. It has to be law enforcement working with community activists and organizers, working with education, working with healthcare, and we need to invest accordingly there. Um, There are complex traumas happening in our communities and have been prior to COVID. So that's like a a, a top of the agenda issue for us. Yeah. What's Um, in that? What's in part of the funding? If it isn't going to law enforcement, like what does feel like it could be? Well, we have... Yeah, yeah. So we have um, in, we have um, programs called SNUG, uh, SUV, which is Stand Up to Violence, and BRAG. Mm-hmm. I forget what what that's for, but what 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 these are these are credible messengers with a history of maybe being formerly incarcerated or spending time in the street that the street people in the street respond to, mm-hmm. who can act as mentors, who can act as first responders, who can act as people who are. Um, who, who can stop retaliations from happening. So that's a part of it, just investing more in people and programs like that so they can be more engaged in the community. That's Work, huge. That's like a street social worker kind of situation. Yeah, street soldiers, right? So yeah. then there's also workforce development. There's also education support. Uh, there's also uh, housing support. You know, there are programs called like ceasefire programs across the country in Oakland and Boston that have done something like this holistically and have dramatically decreased um, uh, community violence. So that's what the money will go towards. But it's not just the money, it's the implementation here at the local level. And that's a lot of the work that we're we're doing to make sure the money's impl- implemented accordingly. And that my, you know, my expertise in education can, can, you know, lend a voice to how we do that. Yes, 100%. Um... Yeah, I'm worried about some of the violence here in California because uh, the Dodgers are going to be playing the Giants very soon in the playoffs. And it's just going to get very real. I mean, I'm a little serious, I'm a, but I'm also joking. But like, I'm just like, oh, man, the the the, the stabs, the the <laughs> just people are going to be way too lit about this. Yes. Um, anywho, uh, Representative Bowman, thank you so much for making the time to talk to yeah. little old me and and this podcast. But uh, these folks who listen are kind of the best. So I want you to know that these are the best people. They're they're funny. They got a good sense of humor. They're they're progressive. They're lefties. They're the best. Um, awesome. And they support you. So thank you for all of your work. Best of luck in the future. And, and congratulations on also everything you've been able to do. Um, and just, we need you. So thank you for being the inside strategy uh, while we're on the outside rooting. Yes. Look up Green New Deal for public schools. Okay. <laughs> what is it? Can you just tell me what that means? What, I'm, I'm like, I want to look it up, but what would it mean? It's our landmark signature public education policy. Um, ending, uh, building new schools, retrofitting schools so they are not dependent on fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they become energy centers for the community, grow your own teacher programs, innovative science curriculum, Green New Deal for public schools, equal to that. taking 17 million cars off the road, uh, investments in Title I, special education, uh, and uh, teacher programs at unprecedented levels. So, My brother is a public school teacher in Oakland, and uh, he is on board. I am on board. We are on board. It is 
not easy out there. Uh, all right. Thank you so much. Take very good care. Yes. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right. That was wonderful. Let's move on to our final fun segment. I'm bringing back into the stream. My good friend, comedian Sammy Obeyed is here. We're going to talk about the uh, the new hit on Netflix, Squid Game. Sammy, um, I want to know from you what, if you had to be in the Squid Game, what what game would you actually survive and what game would you definitely die in? This is Surviving the Squid Game. All right. So with that, okay, so I made Sammy watch this, maybe against his will. But in preparation for this, I'm sure folks have seen it. Some of you haven't. I was told it was like really scary and don't watch it before bedtime. And I watched it not before bedtime, but it is so good. I, there was a moment of the first episode that I, like I cried, like I almost cried because it was so well done. Um, And I, apparently it like falls off. I don't really care. I feel like it's (laughs) just, it, you know, in, in, in the same way, right? Like it has a style that, I mean, maybe this is a, a through line through a lot of Korean directors, but like that Parasite had where it was like this sociological, you know, commentary on, you know, income inequality and, and like capitalism, but then super funny also. Yeah. Just like. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it caught me off guard a few times. I didn't expect to be laughing. It's, but by the, by the way, I, I definitely wanted to watch it, so I'm glad that you got me to watch it. But I am terrified of squid in general. Like it's, <laughs> I have a thing. I like calamari freaks me out. I I'm just yeah. That's like um, I'm gonna see some squid in my nightmare. Um, I mean, it's calamari scary just because like nine out of every ten calamari are just pig butt. True, true. So you I'm know? scared of pigs. I'm scared of pigs, and I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> like I fried calamari. Well, squid are really smart. Not as smart as octopus, octopi. Mm-hmm, right. Like after seeing my octopus teacher, I was like, I'm only eating squid. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, the I mean, this was great. So it's like it's about a, you know, it seems like it's just about the game, but it's actually about a dad, a divorcee who is down on his luck, completely broke, um, living with his mom and trying to make ends meet. And his now finds out that his daughter may be taken by his mom to the United States and they might be leaving Korea. And he is terrified of that. And so meets a random stranger who like engages him in a game. And that dude gives him a card, gives him some money when he wins the game and some card and a card. I don't want to spoil it all, but basically says come to the squid game and it seems like this is a master puppeteer some billionaire who has designed this awful hunger games-esque uh game uh where the losing price is your life um so i want to know but they but they all play they all play childhood games which makes it even creepier um also it's creepy that everyone's in debt (laughs) Um, but i want to know what game would you play that you'd be like oh i got this and what game would be like, no, I'm dead. Childhood game. Yeah, no, I, I, you asked this earlier, and I was trying to think of, like, childhood games. I really sucked at, like, every single childhood game. <laughs> That's probably why I became a comedian. Um, so I thought, well, more recently, I took some improv classes, and I can mm-hmm. tell you which improv games 
I would uh, survive and die. If the Squid Game was just improv games, that'd be the most annoying series ever. Like, that wouldn't be like a thriller. It'd be like, make it stop. We're at the movie theater. We're at the movie theater. No, we're not. It's yes and, you know, and then it's a, yeah. Uh, You're dead. The the squid groundlings. How could we're in the improv studio, you ding dong? (laughs) Worst improviser ever. All right, well, which game do you hate? Because I used to do improv in high school. I actually hated most of the improv games. I sucked at those too. But there was one that I, for some reason, would win every time. And I don't know how common this one is, but it was, uh, I believe it was called Bippity Bippity Bop, where you put a person in the middle of the circle and they say Bippity Bippity. and, And if the, you know, if, if the other person, if they like, they stare at someone straight up mm, in the circle. Mm. And if that person doesn't say bop soon enough, then they have to come in the circle. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They so, have to be the person in the middle. Yeah. 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 So I would, I, for some reason I would win every time I would never, people would never see my bops coming. So I was, I was bippity bippity bop champion. And that's if I had to choose a squid game, it would be the bippity bippity. That's good. That's so scary. <laughs> bippity bippity. Uh, you pause. Dead. Yeah, dead. Um, yeah. Okay. And so which one would you suck at? Like which one would get you killed? So the, my least favorite improv game was the one where you go every, the, again, it's another circle game and the person goes in the middle and has to sing a song. Uh-huh. You know what I'm, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, keep going. You tack, you basically, so it starts with somebody in the middle and they, or it starts with a circle and then one person volunteers to go in and they're like, you know, sweet child of mine. And then somebody comes and then tags them and then sings another song. And then the person okay. goes back to the circle. I, for some reason, would just freeze every time that you had, like, I, I could never think of a song to sing. Oh, I think it was so hard. Yeah. It's also because of like, I, t- I took improv like a long time ago. This was like eight years ago. And like, for some reason, everybody was white back then. I, I guess it's changed since then. So like, they were singing these songs that I'd never heard of. And I was like, well, I need to know more white culture. I'm really behind on this. <laughs> You had to keep on singing their song or you just had to sing a new song? You had to sing and you had to continue their, I think you have to continue their song and then start a new one. No, yeah. it's so but hard. Yeah, lyrics. they were like, yeah. sweet Caroline. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, duh, dum, dum, Like, no. Oh God, that's so good. I wish they were improv games. Okay, let's see. I would win at, I don't know if this is really a childhood game, but I would, I would win at charades. Or anything that involved acting, you know, like I, my, my, my middle school is defined. My middle school recess time was defined by, we used to have, I used to make my friends because I'm very much that person (laughs) play like, uh, like TV advertisement where we just like make up little sketches. I basically would make my friends make up sketches and I would always like, it'd be very fun. I had a great time. So anything that's kind of acting or anything that's sort of, you know, that kind of thing you have to guess, like I would win. But then in my recess time, all my friends got sick of my stupid, you know, make up an ad game and they all wanted to play Foursquare. And I fucking sucked at Foursquare. I hate Foursquare. It's dumb. And I was just like, man, I need new friends. I need drama friends (laughs) because I am not really an athletic person. I don't really like like I can race, like I could just run and probably beat people. That was my only like special skill athletically, but like, I definitely like handball, four square dodgeball, suck, mm-hmm. suck, suck. So, um, I would, I would be done at four square little did spin you, on the ball. I'm just out. Did you guys ever play butts up by the way? That was one of my least favorite games. 
Yes. I forgot how it goes, though. You At some point, the punishment is you stand up against the wall and the person can like either chuck the ball at your ass or they like hit, hit the ball. It's it's very, it's, I don't know who came up with it. it was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and like sharks and minnows I sucked at, mm-hmm. which is like Red mm-hmm. Rover, but in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, that's already like squid game. That's very basically you call it squid yep. game. Yep. Um, anyway, I'm excited to finish the series. I don't care if it falls off. You guys, let me know what games do you remember? What would you be good at? Pick up sticks, jacks, pogs, <laughs> pogs. <laughs> God, remember pogs? Yeah. I'm too old for pogs. I just watch the other kids and be like, ew, <laughs> gross. Um, all right. So that does it for the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Sammy Obeyed. Thank you. Uh, where can people find your work? Uh, yeah, so you can follow me on socials listed here at Sammy Obeyed. And then uh, my website, SammyKO.com, has my blog. So uh, again, the long COVID blog, I, I do recommend it if you are going through it because I, I survived and I'm 100% better now. Um, and then, um, yeah, you can also catch my show schedule there as well. Hell yeah. And it's yeah. S-A-M-M-Y-K-O.com. Yeah. And everyone follow Sammy on all the socials. He's got great bits and he puts a hell of a lot of work into making them funny, especially his stuff on Israel Palestine. So thank you. uh, Which got me banned from TikTok, by the way. But yeah. What? Yeah. I I lost a quarter million followers. Why weren't you bitching about that? Now I want to hear the story. Okay. (laughs) Next time. Next time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Tell me briefly before I let you go. Yeah, well, uh, well, back in May when, you know, shit was going down, I was using my platforms to post like some new and some old bits on the subject yeah. just to, you know, get people engaged who are not engaged. And um, and yeah, uh, as soon as they went up on TikTok, they went viral where, you know, some were getting millions um, and was getting a lot of angry comments like, why would you post this now? And I'm like, well, you know, like I got to use my platform for something. And then um, my account got flagged a bunch of times and got shut down permanently. What? Yeah. Bro, that, I mean, that this is the real cancel culture. There's actual, when you talk about Israel-Palestine, that's when uh, you will get silenced. Straight Um, And like, no offense, but you're not even like that. You're not a six, you know, a six special Netflix comic. No, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Um, But uh, I'm going to come up with a a new account called The Closer. So (laughs) just don't get radicalized by all of this. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially not around Palestine. Yeah. Oops. Too late. Sammy, thank you so much. And thanks everyone for being here. Um, being in the comments, even though this is a pre-recorded show, I love you. Love Francesca out there, whoever you are, you're a wonderful person. You've turned out really great, really wonderful. Um, thank you to everyone who helps put on this show, uh, to Becca Roofer, to Maximilian Inhoff, to Ellie Hoffman and Alexandra Ornest. Remember, we stream every Sunday, 5.8 Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Okay, so be here next week. We got Aaron Ryan as well as Simona Grace. We're talking all about um, how this country does or does not support parents and what we need to do to change all of that. Uh, Thank you for any super chats that we've gotten in advance. Thanks to any Twitch subs we've gotten in advance. I will do the fart song next week. And thanks to everybody uh, who makes the show possible. Becca Roofer, Maximilian Inhofe to Ellie Hoffman and Alexander Ornes. But there is more show show, you guys. If you're a patron, patreon.com slash bituation room to get the rest of this show 
with me and Mr. Sammy Obeyed. We're doing a bonus bish. You don't want to miss it. We're talking about the FBI's raid of the NYPD. So get over there. We'll be there streaming on YouTube exclusively for the patrons only, as well as uh, you can listen back for the patrons only. Um, I do have instructions on patreon.com slash situation room to help you get an exclusive RSS feed patron. So you can get your podcast complete, including the bonus, which is tacked on at the end. So don't sleep on that. And remember guys, fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy and don't just bitch about it. Me.